What's up, podcast world? We are back. This life ain't for everybody. Another episode brought to you by Jack Daniels, Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. Today's guest has brought me many pleasurable nights sharing a Jack Daniel with family and friends and watching his fights in the octagon. He just had an unbelievable battle about a month ago now. TJ Dillashaw, how are you, my brother? Doing good, man. Doing real good. Can we start off a little bit about this last fight? You hadn't been in the octagon in a while. Yeah. And your opponent, Sandhagen, is not – this dude's not a slouch, right? I mean, this is a tough opponent to come back. What's up with facing him, right, you know, coming in after a two-year layoff? That's what I asked for. Um, I asked for a title fight right away. Um, it was a possibility, but unfortunately – Yawn needs Sterling in the head, got disqualification, so I knew they were going to do a rematch. So I wanted the next best thing. I wanted the number one contender. I wanted to submit my submit my place in line for getting my title shot. And I knew doing that would be fighting the number one contender. He had a lot of hype behind him. He just came off a knockout off Frankie Edgar. He knocked out Marlon Marias. Um, I trained with him for like three years out in Colorado. I knew how good he was, but I also knew that he had some holes in his game. And I used that to my advantage. You know, I used uh, knowing that I'm actually the more well-rounded fighter to come out and beat him. Were Were you surprised at all? Um, first of all, TJ, were you ready? Because you, you, your fight got prolonged, your original comeback fight with a, an eye injury. And then you come back. Were you ready to roll 100% as far as like what you, what you expect from yourself? Uh, nowhere near it, actually. It was by far the most injured I've ever been in a fight camp. Um, so I was supposed to fight May 8th after my two-year suspension, and I got cut twice in that camp. I got two headbutts, exact same situation. Uh, seven weeks before the fight, I had to let that heal up a couple weeks, started getting back into sparring, and then 13 days before the fight, again, opened up massive cut all the way across my eyebrow, uh, built a lot of scar tissue up in my eyebrow, um, which reopened in the fight uh, against Sanhagen. Um, so, but they had to postpone that fight to July – and I was still ready for May 8th. I mean, my body was feeling good. Sparring was going great. I felt ready, you know, so it was a very unfortunate situation. Um, getting pushed to July, I didn't get to spar at all that fight camp because I was injured the entire time. I had like this pinch, like the worst of it all, which is like, it's kind of crazy. I had this like pinched nerve in between my toes and my foot. And so it was like agony, man. I couldn't walk on my foot uh, for the longest time. I had to put shoes on even to work out. Um, it was such a pain in my butt to deal with. I got multiple cortisone shots put in it, but it wouldn't go away. I did it doing a slider board and strength conditioning where you slide back and forth, almost like you're doing like ice skating or something. And I crushed my foot against it. And that really messed with me. Um, I tore my, I had a partial tear, my MCL on my right knee. Um, just doing a, doing some sparring, trying to actually try and do my first sparring of the fight camp, hurt my right knee by just sprawling out on someone doing something I've done millions of times and hurt my knee. Um, and then I also had my left shoulder banged up as well too. So uh, I didn't get to spar at all going into that fight. So it was something I had to wrap my head around to say, Oh, well, even though you're not a hundred percent, you're going to win this fight. You're still the better man. And uh, that's a true mind fuck, to be honest, you know, like to have that confidence going into that fight that you're going to win it when uh, you haven't even got a chance to prove yourself in practice really. Let me ask you this, TJ. When you start talking about the eye injury, but you know, to postpone your May fight, is there such thing as training too hard? Because you just like gave us a whole synopsis of 
getting effed up in training camp, but you win the fight without a lot of sparring, like you just said. Can you do this? And I've heard of UFC and MMA guys not sparring a lot. There's been some noted guys that that have said, notable gut fighters that have said, well, I don't spar as much as I used to. I think GSP was even one of those at one time. But is there such thing as overtraining for an upcoming fight? Oh, tons, always, especially for our, for our sport, right? Um, there's more gym wars than there ever wars in the cage. You know, you get more – 95% to 90% of the injuries in MMA are done in practice and not in an actual fight. Um, so you definitely can overtrain and you can go too hard and, and hurt yourself. All my injuries for this, this camp though, weren't done from like going too hard. They were just, unfortunately I'm in a sport that beats the shit out of yourself and I'm 35 years old. You know what I mean? Like I'm not no spring chicken that bounces back from things. But uh, I think when you first start out in this sport, you have to, have those hard rounds. You have to push yourself. You have to learn timing. You have to learn how to fight. When I was first at Alpha Male, I had to learn how to become a fighter. I had to have those hard rounds, those drag out wars to really believe in myself and to know that I could be out there and do this thing. But then once you, once you get to the top, once you get there, um, I'm not saying you don't ever need sparring, but you need a lot less of it. You need to do a lot smarter, a lot smarter controlled sparring, um, to make yourself last in this sport. You know, we've seen Robbie Lawler make it come back and looked amazing because he stopped sparring. He stopped beating the crap out of himself. Um, I believe I was a lot more durable in that last fight because I didn't spar for 12 weeks going into it, you know, and I had a two-year layoff before that. So my brain had a real chance to rest going into that fight to where, like, most of my other fights I probably went into somewhat concussed, you know, when you have hard sparring rounds and you're going with guys. I mean, to be, to be honest, to, to be, to get, to be the best in the sport, you have to get pushed. You have to find those training partners. They're going to push you and they're going to beat up on you so that you know where you have to get better at, you know? So um, there's been a lot of fights where I've gone into probably a little bit too banged up and your brain not ready to get hit again. If your your brain might be concussed going into a fight from over sparring, but now you go in against a guy that he's notably a great fighter. This Sanhagen is a good MMA fighter. You have proven yourself as being one of the greatest in, 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 in the history of the UFC with the battles. I mean, Barreos and, and everything that you've been in the ring with your championship, but or in the octagon with when he starts throwing at you though, are you ready for it without sparring? I know your mind and your brain are clear TJ, but are you having a hard time at all seeing the punches coming because maybe sparring would have got you ready for the actual hands being thrown at you? Not, not at all, man. I mean, you look at that first round. I came out and won that first round very decisively. Um, but I completely blew my knee out the last 10 seconds of that first round. Um, I would come down, sit on the corner. I'm like, man, my knee's fucked. Um, bad, like really bad. Like I limp back to my corner. So I came out that second round a little more flat-footed. That's when it was hard for me to really pay attention to dodging his punches and being – being myself because I was so worried about my knee. Um, and that's the round I got cut. I got hit with the right hand and got cut. Um, that'd be a round that I'd say I give to him because I came out so flat footed. Um, but I sat down on that second round and I said, you know what? Fuck it. I came out in that third round. Again, I made a very decisive win in that round as well too. kicking his legs, getting the right kind of takedowns. But, uh, in all my belief, if I had been able to fight that fight with a healthy leg, not injured in the first round, I would have finished him. There were some opportunities in that first round that I saw that I could have got in there and finished him. I had his back multiple times to where I couldn't do what I'm supposed to do. I game plan for throwing my hooks in. 
I tried doing that in the second round. I took his back and threw my hooks in and I instantly had to bail. I had to push off of him and take my legs out. When I had his back to the most dominant position you can have, I had to get rid of it because my knee popped out the socket again too, you know? So um, unfortunately I couldn't do my game plan. I couldn't finish the takedowns when I had his back because my knee was blown out, but I did what I needed to do. So I wouldn't say that the lack of sparring for me, um, I wasn't able to see some of the punches coming. It was more just a situational thing. And he's a great fighter and he's long elusive and uh, has tricky stuff. I'd say the only time it was hard for me to see though, was after that second round when I had a ton of blood going in my eye. Right. So I had that same cut that reopened up. I had to lie to the, the doctor when he came in and told him I could see when I couldn't, I even tried stealing his cotton and trying to wipe my eye even more. Cause I couldn't see. Hence the reason why I kept holding my hand so much higher when I was fighting the rest of the fight, because, out of my right eye you've always been a guy that is not afraid to tell myself or other people in the media or the mma world of what you think of other fighters or if you have an issue with other camps <laughs> is there any issues with sanhagen or is there a because uh, is there an ultimate amount of respect because you've mentioned several times that he's a great fighter do you have a the ultimate amount of respect for him more so after the fight than going into it yeah, I guess so. I mean, I always had respect for him. I actually believed in the guy before he even believed in himself. I was touting him to get to the UFC when he was on the like small cards. I was talking to you, talking him up on all my podcasts. I was talking about before I fought Cruz, how this kid, Corey Sanhagen, was putting some licks on me and sparring. I was getting ready for the fight. Like, I talked him up before he even believed in himself. I got a little more respect for him now because I understand that he believes in himself, you know. But he's a great fighter. Um, I just don't think he's as well-rounded as he needs to be yet. And he's, he's still young enough to where he can fix that. So th let's talk about a couple headlines, TJ Dillashaw. Um, let's talk about this, the, the Sean O'Malley and what, where he's at. He's had a career to where he's was on the, you know, the looking for a fight with Dana White, I believe, or the contender series. And then he starts winning, puts together a pretty good streak has an injury in a fight that breaks his ankle or something to where he kicked a guy and it didn't go his way, comes back, wins his next fight. But you, you've you been out there saying that you don't think he'll become champion. What is the issue with Sean O'Malley? What is the hype about this guy? And what are you thinking? Are you going to fight him or where, where are you at with him? The hype behind him is because he promotes himself well and the UFC does a good job of promoting him as well too. He's willing to be flashy. He's willing to be colorful. He's on Twitch playing video games. He's taking bong rips. He's got tattoos, flashy hair. He's willing to like be a character, right? So they're going to pump him up. They're doing a good job of that, but they're giving him a bunch of guys that they know that he can beat, right? The, he didn't break his leg in that fight. What happened, he finally fought a guy that was somewhat ranked and uh, tough in the division. Chito Vera, actually know him and trained with him. Chito kicked his leg in the calf and he got that dead foot and then Chito finished him with ground and pound. So the only guy that he fought that's like, ranked decently he got finished in the first round you know other than that they're giving him guys they know he can beat because they want to promote him he's got a great following he's got 1.8 million followers on instagram or something they're doing a good job of of trying to build him up but he's not as well rounded um people that aren't knowledgeable in the sport be like yeah he's the best he's like but you don't understand who he's fighting and two you don't see the holes in his game so um he's young though he could figure it out i guess but I don't think that he's got the toughness behind him to be uh, what he needs to be to become a champion. What do you fight him? Would you take a fight with him? No problem. I mean, uh, after I get my belt back, 
You know what I mean? Most importantly, that belt's the next fight. I'm fighting to get that belt back next. I just beat the number one contender. And then I take fights like that. Then I take those fights to where I can uh, uh, steal his fans and, and get paid for it. Okay, so you've been you've been mentioned in the media lately of saying that about Jose. Um, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about Jose, his career, where he's at right now. And you, that's another fight that after you beat the champion, you're gonna you would accept a fight with Jose out of respect. Well, what does it mean to say I'll take that fight after I have my belt? That means that uh, my first goal right now is getting my belt back. I mean, it was my belt when I left. I just beat the number one contender. That's my shot. Um, it's perfect timing for me. I got three months to heal my leg up before I get into a good training camp. These guys don't fight till October 30th anyways, so they won't train for November after their fight. They wouldn't even probably start thinking about training until December. That puts them in around March. So it's perfect for me, time frame wise right? Because I can't take any fights before them. My knee's completely blown out. I just had surgery three weeks ago. Um, and let's be honest, uh, the goal is to have the belt not only for – knowing you're the best in the world, but that's when you get paid. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm here to collect these checks and get the pay-per-view numbers. And Jose Aldo has a huge following like he should, because he's a legend of the sport. He's um, a legend in Brazil. So you fight a guy like uh, Jose Aldo that continues to build your legacy when you beat him, as well as the fans want to see it. So when the fans want to see it, you get paid for it because you're the champion. You get that pay-per-view cut. Are you telling me that the March fight, when you're back off of knee rehab and you're in a good camp, you're fighting March of 2022, that will be for the UFC title? Around there. I'm not saying it's exactly March, but yeah. My next fight will be for the title. And by that time, who will it be against? My bet is Peter Young. Now, he lost his last fight due to what? Disqualification or what, what happened in that fight? Yeah, disqualification. He was beating the crap out of Aljamain Sterling. He was the champion. Aljamain was uh, challenging for the belt. Uh, he had a great game plan. Was beating the crap out of Aljamain Sterling. Very like about to finish him. Aljamain was like on his knees, like trying to like bail out of a situation. Uh, Yawn knees him in the head while he's grounded. Um, a good knee, uh, illegal, and Sterling takes the disqualification and gets the win. So he won the belt from DQ, which is ridiculous and just he won an oscar nomination for the way he kind of handled it all um but yon's got his number yon's gonna get that 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 win back so they're gonna fight october 30th so i know i know that you're one of the most confident you have to be confident in this lifestyle you can't go in there and think i i'm not gonna win you can beat anybody at any given time peter yon's been on a pretty good streak he's tough he's a very tough fighter i believe he was the last one that ended Uriah's comeback. Is this correct? Was that Peter yeah. Yawn? If you call that a comeback, yeah. Okay, we'll get into that. But I don't even want to get into that. There's nothing to talk there's about. There's nothing to talk about. So Peter Yawn is going to be TJ Dillashaw's next opponent for the belt. Yeah. Is this spark something in you to where your game's so well-rounded that you can take anything that he throws at you? Or do you have to go back and reinvent part of your game as you go into a fight with him? No, there's ways to beat him now. I've already seen like how to do it um, from all of his fights. And from, he's a he's a great basic technical fighter. Um, he throws what he's supposed to throw, and you use that against him. You know what I mean? Like it's actually easier to fight guys that do what they're supposed to do, right? It's like uh, training against a robot. You know, he does what he's supposed to do when he's supposed to do it, and you game plan for that, right? Um, 
and he's only threatening in certain spots. So uh, it's a great fight for me. I got to go back to the Sanhagen fight for a second before we continue with the championship. <clears throat> Was there any discrepancies? Just, I guess that's not the right word, TJ Dillashaw, but did you surprise somebody like Dana White or the, or the guys that were out promoting this fight with how you come back against the number one contender and beat him? Do you think people were surprised – or do you think that they wanted to put you up against – I know that, that they requested that, but don't you think that they would have put you in with somebody that would have been a little bit, you know, not at Sanhagen's level as your first fight coming back? Were they surprised that you handed him a loss like that? No, man. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't like that big of an underdog, and halfway through the fight I actually became the favorite. Um, I think it was a, a great test of who I am and um, – um, the, the, the test they wanted to give me was like, is Dillashaw going to be the same fader coming back off of suspension? Not only the time off, but from using, using drugs, like it's a, it's a great story of me fighting the best to know if I'm, if I am the best, right. To come out there and prove that. So, um, I don't think I surprised anyone, um, other than maybe fans, right. Which maybe surprised some fans or some haters and things like that. But within the company, I mean, uh, even when I got suspended, I told uh, Hunter Campbell when I was going to come back and get my belt back, and he says he doesn't doubt it. You know, so um, there's some belief there that I've been able to prove myself many times in the sport. With your psyche, the way you're wired, TJ, what happens to somebody like you? And I know this is probably a question that doesn't even deserve an answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What happens if you never win? your belt back. What does it do to a person's psyche? You're so confident and you're so successful and you got businesses going on. You have a wonderful, beautiful family. What does it do to the competitor's mind of TJ Dillashaw if that didn't happen? Theoretically. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. It's the only time can tell that, right? Cause I don't see that happening. So it's something that, uh, I don't know, man, being a competitor, you roll with anything, right? Like last two and a half years of my life having to roll with that. Like we're so, we, we like, if you're a true competitor, you have such thick skin and you're so mentally tough that you deal with whatever comes at you. And uh, you know, people need to learn that for everyday life. Right. Cause nothing gets handed to you. You have to work for it. And, and shit is tough. There's always, there's always lows, you know? Um, and just so no matter what I'll be able to deal with it. Right. But I don't see that not happening. Transitioning into the suspension, we talked last time on here about your coaches and everybody being notified and how it brought you down. And has all of this mended? Is everything back to where you want it to be in your coaching life and your team's life and your camp's life? Everything is is very, very concrete and solid for the TJ Dillashaw fight camp right now? Absolutely. Yep. Everything's back. So what was your reaction the last couple of weeks? Because we mentioned DT, the magic man, on our last podcast. What was your reaction to the U.S. Olympic team and the medals with Dake and Snyder and <clears throat> magic man, the win with a few seconds left with the takedown against the defending gold medal winner from the Olympics five years ago? But were you watching every match and were you surprised at all? I was not surprised. I was very excited. I stayed up until – three o'clock in the morning when the matches were going on. Right. Like I didn't, I, I didn't like record them or watch them the next morning. I watched them live um, because I train with those guys. Right. I train with the Kyle Schneiders. I train with the David Taylors. Uh, we're on the same training machine program. They come out to the same Calavita's garage and work out with me. So to be able to do those, uh, 
those workouts with those guys and see how hard they work. You know, they got the gas tank to push the pace um, and just the work ethic. Uh, just very proud of them, you know, because I think that's the biggest accomplishment you can ever have in sport, you know, especially in wrestling. Um, being a world, uh, gold medalist is just uh, it's amazing, man. Talk to me a little bit about Gable, too. The, the last second takedown gets the guys back with literally like 2.1 seconds left. I think Gable's like 21 or 22 years old. Now he's a gold medal Olympic wrestler. We're, are you a big fan of his style and as a heavyweight like that? I mean, does the guy just – does he surprise you with his athleticism? He definitely surprised you with athleticism, right? Because the guys that big that are that athletic usually pick another professional sport right? They're usually playing football, you know, somewhere they're going to actually get paid millions of dollars. And it's going to be a wrestler to be on that hard grind of a sport that doesn't have any of the glory, right? Like wrestling, wrestling sucks, bro. Like it's the hardest sport in the world and there's no glory. You know what I mean? Like there's not a lot of fans watching wrestling, but you go out and you be as good at something like football or basketball, baseball, listening, like you're getting paid millions of dollars for your hard work, you know? So yeah, I was very surprised by I see how athletic he is and, and a, a big fan of his. What, what do you think pushes the, the athletes? What is the number one ingredient that you and David Taylor and Kyle Dake have? It, what is, is it passion? Is it commitment? What is the number one ingredient it takes to be in this conversation of the world's greatest? There's never, there's never just one, right? Like even you said commitment, there's, there's obviously talent, there's commitment, there's dedication, there's a never quit. Um, because, you know, I mean, David Taylor went through knee surgery, went through some losses, it took him a while to get there, but it ain't going to keep him down. You know what I mean? Like that never quit attitude is, a, is bred by wrestlers. Um, there, there's a lot of, there's not just one thing that happens, you know. Um, you can't just be talented. You can't just be dedicated. You, know, you, have that, that, you can't just have the right team and the right nutrition. It's all got to come together to, to make that, that best time, the peak yourself. Okay, here's a question about some of our mutual friends. It's been noted that Kyle Dake has been throwing some gloves and might be getting into that. Bo Nickel was on the podcast a couple weeks ago, and he's getting into the MMA. What happens, in your opinion, to a three-time NCAA champion like Bo Nickel, a four-time NCAA champion in four different weight divisions like Kyle Dake. Let's take David Taylor. And then I want to end it with Gable and Snyder. Can these guys make a career doing what you do? Because you transitioned from wrestling into MMA too. These guys are at a college level, an NCAA championship, all-American level. I mean, they've won the trophy many times for wrestler of the year, the Hodge trophy. And now you come into the Olympics gold medalist. Do you see any of these guys having a, uh, a successful MMA UFC style career? Absolutely. I mean, you definitely have the best chances with a wrestling background to come in and be successful, you know? Um, but it comes down to being who's fucking mean enough, right? Cause wrestling's tough and you gotta be mean, right? But it's a different, a different type of mean. You're like, in my opinion, you gotta be, you gotta be a, a mean motherfucker to get out there to be, be tough in MMA as well as you got to be athletic enough to pick up striking. Right. But they can come out and be successful with just wrestling, but to be the best in the world, how athletic are they on their feet? You know, how can they dance? Can they play other sports? Can like Gable, that guy can be, that guy could be world champ. You know, see how athletic he is. I mean, I guarantee you can pick up striking. What does he mean? I don't know. I don't know the guy, you know what I mean? So they all have the recipe to be successful. Um, I just, 
Yeah, but I mean, I, I mean, I don't know them personally. I mean, I know Bo Nichols going to do it. And he could be great. They sound like he's setting up a good team. So, yeah, I'm excited to see how these guys develop. You know David Taylor personally. Is he mean enough? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think David Taylor will continue to be a wrestler. Um, I, I don't think he'd ever want to do MMA. Uh, me personally, if I talk to him or just, I know him well enough to where I've worked out with him a few times. You know what I mean? Like had some conversations with him. I, w- I would say no at my first, but I mean, you could surprise me. Who knows? But I would say no. I mean, he's 30 years old as well already, right? Like starting MMA at 30 years old is a little bit too late. We have another mutual friend that's getting ready to go into a different realm of fighting, the bare knuckle fighting. Oh, hell yeah. What's going to happen with Money Mendez? Dude, Money Mendez is looking like, looking amazing, bro. He looks jacked. He's like good shape. He's been doing nothing but boxing with his coach out there. I've been watching his videos. Been looking. I'm, I'm so pumped for him. I'm pumped for him to come back and be a competitor because that guy's always been the most athletic, toughest guy for me to ever go with. Um, by far the strongest person I've ever grabbed a hold of. Um, so fast and explosive. Um, with the right situation, if you wouldn't have taken, had to take that Conor McGregor fight in 10 days, he'd have been a UFC champion. You know what I mean? Like uh, so close to beating Jose Aldo in that fight where, he, in my mind, he should have been UFC champion. There's a couple of things within training. That if you could have changed up and had a little bit more cardio – that he would have been a UFC champion. He's by far the most athletic person I've ever, ever gone with. So I'm excited to see him back. And uh, he's a powerhouse, man. He's even knocked some fools out. Do you, do you feel like he has, like, how do you, how do you categorize his hands? Are they, does he have amazing hands? Like he looks like a boxer to me in his latest videos. He's fast. He's super explosive, right? Which that's why it's hard to have long lasting cardio. When you're that explosive, you have that much muscle it's hard to have cardio. You have to train it the right way. Um, and yeah, his technique, awesome. So he looks great as a boxer. I'd say the only downfall is how his, his, his reach, right? So he's going to have to use that. He's going to have to use a different style, right? He, um, that'd be the only downfall, but I think he's got that figured out with how fast he is, how powerful he is. He can be the Mike Tyson. You know what I mean? Like he needs to be like Mike Tyson when he boxes and he'll have no problem. He hits hard enough for it. He's, I mean, when you watch him hit the bag or work out, he moves as fast as Mike Tyson would move, right? Um, he looks good, man. I, I agree with everything you just said. Would you consider going to his first fight in October live to be to be in the building when he has his first bare-knuckle boxing fight? Hell yeah, I love Money Mendez, man. I'd support him to the, to the end of the world and back. Is he... We've, I think we touched on this before, but as ferocious as he is and as hard as he hits, he has got to be one of the sweetest human beings you've ever met too, correct? I've never seen him mad. He's the jolliest guy ever. He rubs off on you. And uh, being around Chad, if you're, if you're around Chad Mendez, you're going to be a better person yourself. So as you look at yourself in the mirror, Dillashaw, where – where do you see – where do you establish yourself in life right now? Take away the glory of the MMA and what you've achieved. Mm-hmm. Are you where you want to be as a the version of TJ Dillashaw? Talk to me about the mental aspect of becoming not just a champion but a father, a, ma- a husband, a man. Talk to the audience about 
like becoming a better version of yourself every day. People would look at you and your physique and your talents and your championships and your revenue and your income and what you've done, your celebrity, and be like, he's got the world's greatest life. He's done it. Hard work pays off. But are you where you want to be as the best version of TJ Dillashaw at this point in your life? I am. I seem to make sure to sit back and enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like uh, I become a lot, I think I've become a lot nicer and understanding of a person since being a father. Uh, my son's made me a lot. Uh, he's made me softer. You know, he's made me softer, which you, know, you need to be hard nosed through parts of your life to get to where you want to be. But um, he's made me enjoy a lot more things and understand what, what's really important in this life. And now I need to make sure that uh, I sit back and enjoy it and do the right things to because it goes by fast, man. He's three and a half years old already. It's crazy. Um, you know, don't regret letting that time fly by you. So, unfortunately, I went through fight camp, and now I'm laid up on crutches with knee surgeries. There was, like, so much I wanted to do after fight camp to be able to, you know, enjoy these times. But now I got to wait. I got to wait another three more weeks time off crutches and be able to really, like, you know, I mean, I can play with them a little bit, but it's, it's I mean, I'm – I'm kind of just getting over being bedridden, to be honest. You know, I mean, the knee surgery is a lot worse than I expected it to be. There's some world-class athletes that have brought their sons along with them into their careers, their photo shoots, their social media. Two of them that come to mind are J.B. Mooney, who's a world champion PBR bull rider, and he's going to be competing at the P, you know the PRCA NFR National Finals Rodeo in December for because he's never won the Worlds in that. And then Cowboy Cerrone is another one that's brought his son into – the, the public's eye as your son gets into that three, five, seven year old range. Do you see him being on daddy's shoulder and being on daddy's lap, you know, at the camps and in the, in the public view of that, or are you of the mindset of, I would rather keep my son out of that and maybe let him get a little older to see if he accepts this lifestyle and wants to go down this road. Definitely want him to accept it first. Right. I don't want him to like, I never, that's one thing I want to make sure I do as a father is not push him into doing something and letting him choose to do it. Right. And I'll support him for whatever he wants to do, but introducing him to every situation. So yeah, bring him to practice, see it, let him see what I do, you know, try to get him into jujitsu. He's not really into it yet. Um, you know, so maybe later on on the road, maybe I'll get on the mat with him, you know, get him the show him things that I'm interested in. Um, introduce him to things that I'm not interested in that maybe other sports you might want to do. Like, you never know what walk of life he wants to be a part of. And that's what I want to support. So introduce him to everything and then let him find what he likes. How much do you wear your career and your personal life, TJ, as part of your maturity level that you just explained of becoming softer as a father and more understanding and maybe even nicer or, you know, sweeter. Do you, do you look at yourself as you have become just more, of a mature level or are you looking at it more of like you do ha you have become more of an understanding person to where you're able to accept defeat more or do you wear it at home all the time of like if you have a bad sparring session or a bad camp or this knee the, the like you might get down about the knee does it wear on you to the point to where you let it affect your home life still um no not as much i think i used to you know i think i used to a lot more than i do now because I have the distraction of my son when I come home now. Right. So yeah, if I have a bad sparring session, you know, I'll come home and have my wife have to talk me out of it, um, which I still say it's maybe there a little bit, but not as much because when I come home, it's like my son's running the door saying dad has home, you know, like 
that instantly gets your mind off of what was going on and understand what's important, you know? Um, yeah, I guess if that answers your question. It does. And I think that it's really a cool, I mean, think about how a 20 pound three-year-old or 30 pound three-year-old can bring you to your knees when a fighter that is established as you are in many realms, like your last opponent in Sanhagen can't like, think about how unbelievable life is that a three-year-old boy can bring you to your knees faster than a world-class MMA fighter. That's a pretty cool analogy. If you think about it, that your son can do that to you because everybody that looks at fighters would be like, there's no way Mike Tyson could ever get all cuddly with a, with a, with a kid, you know, like think about how neat that is in life that a three-year-old can bring you to your knees. Yeah, man. Um, absolutely. I mean, anything that needed to be done, it'd be because of him, you know, that's crazy of, uh, and then you take it a step further of what the inspiration is now when you are at fight camp, you know, you go back to the old Rocky Balboa movies and it was about his son at one time. It was about Adrian at one time that kept him going. And I think that I'm seeing that in you now to listening to you talk that you have a whole new reason to fight now. Like it's not about just the glory, the championships, everything, but there's different reasons to fight now, right? You're fighting for livelihood in a family name, right? Uh, that's one thing I'd have to disagree with. I fight for myself. Um, I'm fighting because I want to right now. I don't, I don't have to. Um, and you know, uh, maybe how I handle my, how I handle myself is because of that, right. Because of family and my son. Um, but my fighting, no, I don't fight because of it. I, I act a certain way because of him. So do you see yourself being a a mid forties MMA fighter, or are you going to know when to get out? I'll know when to get out. Do you have any idea when that is? No, I don't want to put, I don't want to put a number on that. I mean, I used to do interviews back in the day and say, yeah, I don't see myself fighting past 35 years old. Well, shit, I'm 35, about to be 36 fighting for a world title. Um, but I did have a two year suspension, right? So you never know what's going to happen. You never want to put a number on it. You never want to set something like that, but I'll know when. Do you still love it as much as you did when you came into the game? Uh, maybe not so much the sport, but I love being the best. Right, it's a different a different form of love. Um, when you when say you the sport, do you mean the business? The business, yeah, I guess more of the, the business, the drama. Um, it gets old, man. Like, actually, me and my wife just had a conversation about this the other day. Like, remember, like when I first started making a name for myself and have UFC have me travel to UFC for fights or doing like interviews or media stuff or you know meeting other celebrities and like we were so excited about it like no this is awesome like and then you would meet older fighters and their wives and they'd be over it you know what i mean they'd be like oh god like we hate coming to these things we hate doing this and it's like how could you hate it like this is amazing this is like we made it we did it you know like we're doing it we're doing it right now we're living it but now i'm that older fighter you know what i mean like i don't want to go to fights i don't want to do the media i don't want to do all that bullshit you know um it gets old man it really does so um yeah do you do you look at it though to where it sounds to me like you used to ride for the brand like you were making a name for dealer shop but you were also riding for the ufc brand to where now is it 
with all of the talk in the media and all of the talk from like Rockhold just came out and said what he said. I'm, I'm sure you've seen these, these quotes about, uh-huh. what, about what Luke just said about Dana White and Nagano and the pay that these fighters are getting and that it's literally like laughable and embarrassing for the amount of money that the organization's making. Do you find yourself not writing for the brand as much because you feel like maybe some of those sediments are true? No, man, I don't want to get involved in that. You know what I mean? I've already been there, done that, tried that stuff. But uh, no, I mean, I do understand that. But I have also built my name and built my companies because of what I've done in the UFC, right? Like, yeah, I can go and look like, it's not fair, this and that, which, you know, it probably isn't. But, oh, well, you know what I mean? Like, I have a successful businesses now. I've created a name. I am who I am because the UFC has given me that opportunity so be grateful rather than bitter, and I think a lot, but a lot more, a lot more things will come your way. Great answer. So, yeah. do you feel that without Dana White's ingenuity, his hard work, his vision, and what the Fertitas did from let's say 2003 until they sold the brand, and what Dana continues to do, it's probably going to be a little bit harder for somebody like TJ Dillashaw and even big brands that came on like Affliction or Tap Out. I mean, a lot of this momentum was created because of what happened with the UFC. Is this fair to say? Yeah, I don't think the I don't think the UFC would I don't think the world of MMA would be here. I mean, it might be it'd still be like I mean, who knows if they'd even have like uh, recorded there always used to be like recorded VHSs and things like I don't know, man. I, don't, I mean, it definitely wouldn't be where it's at um, without them creating the Ultimate Fighter. They were forty million dollars in the hole when they even bought it. They were pumping money into it like it was nothing, um, and until they had that first uh, Ultimate Fighter is when the UFC took off. So their grit of grinding and creating this opportunity for us. Yeah, it, would, it wouldn't be here without them. Give me an idea of some of the fighters that you love to watch when you, when let's say when I started watching, let's say like 03, 04, 05, are you an Iceman fan? Were you like just glued to your TV when you'd see him come out in those blue shorts? How could you not be, man? I mean, he was like the... He was like the Steve Austin of the UFC. You know what I mean? Like just raw talent, knocking people out. But I was also a Couture fan, you know, because he was like the all-American, clean-cut, do-things-the-right-way kind of guy. Um, George St. Pierre fan because of his dominance and his professionalism and taking it to, um, you know, doing gymnastics and things back in the day before anyone was doing any kind of training and how professional he was. Um back watching Vitor Belfort do the Vitor Blitz and knocking big fat dudes out when there was no weight classes. You know what I mean? Like fans of fans of so many different walks of life and steps of, of the sport. Were you a fan of Matt Hughes's fighting style? Yeah, because I was a wrestler. I remember being when that first, like, I don't think the very first old UFC game that came out like way back in the day, I would always select Matt Hughes because he was an American wrestler. <laughs> okay. So let me ask <clears throat> you were smiling when you said that just now. Yeah. Five minutes ago, you said, man, you just get over going to the fights and the publicity or the, the media and stuff. Do you still like the fight game and talking about it? Do you get fired up to think about Mike Tyson being 19 years old or 20 and the undisputed champion in the world with all three belts and knocking grown? I mean, he was knocking grown men out when he was 17, but do you like talking about the fight game? Could you ever go into commentating and like talk about fighting for your job? I probably could once I'm done, you know what I mean? Like I did a little bit of it when I was fighting, but it just kind of like almost gives you anxiety, right? Cause like you're taking work home with you. 
it's like, I don't even watch fights that often unless I'm very invested in who's fighting because it's like, I'm at practice all day long. I'm thinking about who I'm going to fight. And then you come home and watching a fight and getting anxiety, thinking about your fights. Like you need the escape of it. But I bet when I'm done, I can probably see myself doing that because I mean, I'm a very technical mindset, a cerebral fighter. I mean, I could do it, uh, but we'll see, man. I have a lot of uh, businesses at hand now that are probably keep me busy. So um, if the opportunity arises, I would, I would say possibly, but um, I like talking more about the past of fights than I do the future, you know, about like those old Mike Tyson days, old UFC days, like reliving that is more fun to me than talking about future uh, fights. I, I could see that. I, do you like talking about like the question comes up, like what I always think of, like how do fighters feel about, I don't care about Conor McGregor. I'm talking about just simply the career. He's made a ton of money. He sold, you know, Irish whiskey companies and he's done it right. Do you respect the career the way the man built his career? hundred percent, hundred percent. You do. Uh, first you want to hate the guy, right? Cause I'm the UFC champion. He comes into the UFC, gets all this clout, all this fame, all this money, like fast, bro. I mean, he went from coming into the UFC within three years fighting Floyd Mayweather, Mayweather for $150 million. Like that is unheard of, dude. You know what I mean? But then once you realize and you start thinking about all the work he put into it, all the promotional work and the interviews and being this character and then backing it up, like that's a ton of work. Because I know when I'm the champ, and they're having me do all these interviews. So it gets tiring, man. Like you don't want to do it anymore. Think what that guy's doing at times 20. You know what I mean? So what he's done is amazing. And, you know, I've come around. I mean, he's saying some most ridiculous shit now to where it's like, it's hard to be his fan, but, uh, you know, I'm almost rooting for him now to come back and, 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 and do better now than I was in the beginning because of what he's done for the sport and how much money and how much attention, how much, how many celebrities he's brought to the eyeballs of the UFC. It's refreshing to hear you look at it from a very level playing field of like, yeah, what he did helped you or not. You could have easily said, well, I'm the champ. I put in all this time and now he's getting all the notoriety. Does envy or jealousy ever set in to somebody that's as successful of your mind? Do you get that? Like, oh, wait a minute. Cause country singers have done that. Like they work their way up and then all of a sudden all the limelight is on this one dude that won American Idol or something and they get passed by almost. Does it happen? That was the point I was bringing up in the beginning. Yeah, man. I remember I was the UC champion, had a gold wrapped around my waist. Uh, we were coaching ultimate fighter uh, against Uri- uh, Uriah and Connor. And there's just all this clout on this guy's not even the champion yet. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, yeah, what the fuck? Like, I want to be making that money. I want to be doing that stuff, you know? And at the moment in that time, yes. Right. But then when you go back and look at it and realize what he had to do to get there and the work he put into it, like I put in, godly amounts of work inside the inside the gym right insane amounts of work inside the gym and yeah i did the work a little bit of work outside but i wasn't willing to be the character that he was i wasn't willing to create the drama and get in those uncomfortable situations and do what he did very well and then be able to back it up like i wasn't willing to do that and that's a lot of work and now that i've been through it all i'm towards the, the, the point of my career I'm in now, you can look back and appreciate it, you know, because it's a ton of work. 
It's almost like it's almost like he's WWE meets UFC to where he's got the character, the drama. He's he's with Bean Gene Okerlund backstage talking smack. But the difference is, is that he's really getting punched in the face and choked out by by Nate Diaz and by different fighters. Right. But as far as his the last part of the question, TJ, is the legacy of a fighter to me, in my opinion, is different than. You could be the multimillionaire. You could drive the Bentleys. You could have the mansions on the coast of anywhere you want to build. But what about the legacy of the fighter? Do you want to go down as the people's champ, the the respect of your of, of all of the people that you know, all of your opponents, your your teammates, all of that? Does he have a legacy as a great UFC fighter if he continues to do what he's done against Poirier the last two times? What he what he's you know you've seen him in his last few fights he. He took care of Cerrone, but other than that, like Diaz handled him. The second fight was a little iffy, and then he goes in against Khabib, which that was um, – he got manhandled, in my opinion, in that fight. Where where do you see a legacy of that kind of career standing? I mean, he's hurting his legacy by the way he's acting than the way he's performing. I mean, yeah, because you can't ever take away what he did. You know what I mean? You can't take that away. It's always there. But you can – tarnish it by the way you're acting right now. Like the shit he's doing, the shit he's saying, the people he's attacking um, verbally and on social media. I'd say that's where he's going to hinder it more than anything. Um, say if he would have just lost and handled it graciously, you could say like, look, man, he lost motivation. You know what I mean? Like he's on top of the world, he lost motivation. Like he was an all-time great. But now it's like he's saying like the most ridiculous shit. It's kind of like, come on, Connor. Like making it tough to root for you, you know? But um I still will because, and like I didn't, I, I really disliked the guy in the beginning because like it was jealous, right? But now I'm like to the point now I'm rooting for him to get back to his grind. Get, now that you have all the money in the world and all the fame in the world, how about getting back and do the nitty gritty when you were broke, when you were on welfare and what you did to get to where you're at, you know what I mean? Like be that guy again. Might not, I mean, being that guy sucks. You know what I mean? Might not want to do it again. But if you wanted to, if you wanted to step back up, that's what you if the money was right, would you meet him at 155 and what would happen if Dillashaw faces McGregor? Fuck yeah, I would definitely do that. It would be amazing. Um, he'd be big. He'd be big for the weight class. I mean, he, he's put on some serious size, man, through his uh, – do you remember him still walking? I mean, he must have been cutting a lot of weight to go on 45s because the way he looks now is just completely different. Um, so I'd be giving up a lot of weight. Um, he's got great timing. He's got power in his left hand. I would just have to make it – one thing that I have great that would mess with him a lot is my pace, my cardio, and my wrestling. You know what I mean? Like, if I'd be able to control that distance and be on him, just like like Habib did, and just uh, manhandle him, and, and then because uh, he doesn't have, he has horrible cardio. He's got garbage for cardio. Um, I'd be able to outlast him and finish him. You know? I want to see that fight. Hell yeah! I, I really do. I think that would be the way that. The, the, if you go back, and I hope that people listening to this, men and women, go back and watch your fights with Barrero, because I don't know, like, if you break them down anymore, if you watch your old fights, but when you watch those fights and you rewind them and watch, like, the second round again, whatever it is, in both fights, there's three of them, right? Uh, two, no, two against Barrero. Two against Barrero. The, the, your hands and your footwork, like, were you... I don't know, like all the boxers you were being compared to at the time, you were you were showcasing so many different aspects of the MMA game. Are you still at that level, TJ Dillashaw, to where you can be that fighter in the ring and and be that dominant? Because you were dominating, and this dude was the best there was. 
Yeah. So you have to fight every fighter differently, right? Like I couldn't fight Corey Sanhagen like I fought him in Barat. It wouldn't work, right? Because Corey Sanhagen's got great motion. He's got good length. He's got uh, different attributes. I have to fight him differently. Him, I have to corral him, go forward, and be like a little pit bull in your face and and uh, use my wrestling, right? A guy like Burrell, he's flat-footed, uh, wants you to stand in front of him, doesn't use a lot of motion, so I can use my motion, right? Like I can create those angles. Um, the greatest fighters in the world are ones able to change up who they are from round to round or from fight to fight and from round to round. You know, like for instance, when I fought – Garbrandt the first time I uh, was trying to use all his flash and his setups and his feints that first round. Um, got a little overly aggressive in the last 10 seconds that first round. Got caught with the right hand. Um, and that was it. That was the end of the round. I had to come out that second round and be a completely different fighter. I stopped moving as much. I stopped feinting and just started throwing. Um, and that's when I found my openings, right? So being cerebral enough to be different from fight to fight is what keeps me on top, what keeps me the best. So in so many words, are you saying that your game plan and your training camp game plan might change right after the first round and you got to go to a different game plan than what you studied the last three months? Yeah, 100%. Um, maybe I didn't game plan the right way or maybe he's not doing the things I was hoping he was going to do. Uh, most of the time, you kind of have to change things on the fly. Very seldom do fights go like my first brow fight very seldom that one worked to a t everything happened exactly how we wanted it to uh the fight was almost in like slow motion that's like one of those times that where like you feel like what michael jordan probably felt like all the time you know what i mean like in things were in slow motion and things just happen perfectly and just we pay millions of dollars to have that feeling you know so before we end this let's take it back pre-sandhagen just now you're beat up are you going to follow your game plan when the bell rings in the first round? Do, do you feel you had your game plan pristine, you know, just pristine for this fight? Because I keep going back to the thought of this was not an easy fight to come off a two year suspension with. And after the injury of your May fight and the eye and everything, this guy is legit and you beat him. You beat the number one contender in the world. What does that do to First off, TJ, say, did you have a game plan and did you follow it? And then I want you to tell me, what does that do to a fighter? Have you talked to him since? Because that's got to mess with the fighter's psyche to be the number one in the world and then fight a guy that hasn't fought in two years, even though it is TJ Dillashaw. It's got to mess with him too, right? Yeah, and I beat him on one leg. I'm telling you, like my knee crashed, man. I had a ruptured LCL. I had a torn MC, a bucket handle tear in my, MC, uh, my uh, meniscus and my medial and lateral meniscus. I had a PCL tear. I mean, my, my knee was toast, like toast. Um, and so, yes, did I have a game plan? I definitely had a game plan for him. Um, I have a game plan for every fighter I come out and fight. And um, I definitely stuck to the game plan. That's what got me the win. I was, would've, it would have been a lot prettier and uh, wouldn't have been as close if I wasn't as injured, right? Like how easily I was able to take his back and how easily I was able to get him and grab a hold of him would have been times 10 if I had been able to actually lift him up and put him to the ground. If I would actually been able to throw my hooks in, like I had his back so many times where I could have thrown my hooks in and look for the finish, but I couldn't do it. I was physically not allowed to do it because my knee would pop out of socket. I couldn't lift him up in the air because my knee would give out. 
You know, like I couldn't close distance the way I wanted to because I couldn't push off my leg the way I wanted to. I had to fight southpaw the entire time because I didn't want him to kick my bad leg, you know, but because I stuck to the game plan, I still, I still got to win. Think about how crazy it is of the word give up and how easy it is to say, dude, my knee's shot. I can't continue. The guy that, that got beat by Peter in the last fight, you know, he didn't need to take that disqualification victory. There's a lot of mindset that goes into fighting hurt. And you could be in the best shape of your life, TJ Dillashaw, and you get punched one time in the rib cage like Chad Mendez did to me one time in the gym. I thought I could, I had a pretty good pain tolerance. I ran around that gym like I, he broke two of my ribs and I freaking was like in pain for hours and days and weeks, right? It affected the way I went to the bathroom for a long time, TJ Dillashaw. So when you're in that ring with a world-class fighter like Sanhagen and you cannot even put any weight on that knee or it's going to give out and blow out, think about the mindset, just have how people should attack life on a daily basis. Think about what lessons can be learned just by knowing what you're going through in that fight, that, 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 that fight with Sanhagen. If people attack life like that, we would be a much stronger community and a much stronger nation. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I owe that to my uh, father and my mother, right? They're, they're the one that bred that work ethic and that just never give up attitude, right? Like we were a well-off family, but uh, we never acted like it. Like my dad, my dad was very successful in the world of construction, build private homes. And so, you know, we, we never like had to go without but he made us work our ass off for anything we wanted. Got us in the sport of wrestling, which made me who I am. Um, man, I, I, I definitely I mean, there's easy ways to quit in that fight, right? And you're talking about my knee, but even more so my eye. We had a – well, no, my knee was more of the problem, but I had a way out if I wanted to, right? If I wanted to have a way out of the fight, I had it. Like when I got cut in that second round, they could have called the fight and would have been a no contest where they like – had a rematch or something, right? Rev, doctor came in. I could have been like, oh, I can't see. They would have called the fight because it was only in the second round. It would have been a no contest. We'd have probably do a rematch. But I didn't want that. You know what I mean? I said, I, I lied. I told them I can see perfectly. Don't worry about it. Let's go. You know what I mean? Like, they, they presented the out to me, and I did not want that. Like, that's just not my style. You know what I mean? That's not how I was raised. I think, I think it's so needed man for you and guys like you to be able to educate people that you can get through adversity you can get through pain there's these things we have in our lives tj dillashaw called thresholds your eye was a threshold your knee was a threshold there's parts in my cardio workout this morning with my trainer that i wanted to throw up and quit and get in my truck and drive away but i got through that threshold and the rest of it was easy and then at the end of the workout I felt so righteous, right? Like I was ready to attack the day even more, even though I could have very easily quit halfway through and said, it's too smoky here. The California wildfires got it. My asthma's kicking in. And I wanted to, I'm not going to lie. I wanted to quit, but I didn't. And he kept pushing me. And that's what you're telling me is that if we just find that ability to beat a threshold, we can achieve a lot of shit, right, TJ? Absolutely, man. I love it, dude. Okay. We have... Another mutual friend, I think, you say you barely watch fights anymore, but there's fights this Saturday. There's a fighter nicknamed The Carpenter Fighting. Are you a fan of The Carpenter, Clay Guida, and is he going to come out the victor this Saturday? How could you not be a fan of Clay Guida? I love him. Like, he's like just such a – 
man, like I remember, like I only know Clay Guida, you know, through practices of, and especially back then, I, I knew him very little and we had Bronson and I wasn't living at uh team off mail was all the drama going there, but that's where I was training with him at. He like gets me this like super nice gift for my son. And you know, he's he, like, I only know him very little. He's just such a nice human being, such a good person. Um, so easy going, just wants to fish and, and, you know, live in RV, be on like, Clickwood is awesome, man. And so, yes, he definitely, I mean, he, his grit, his toughness and his, um, the way he fights, he definitely can get it done. And I'm, I'll be a, definitely rooting for him and I'll be one of those fights that I'll watch. Okay. I'm going to text you then Saturday night. I'll be up in Oregon cooking uh, for Traeger and Dickie's workwear. And then we're going to, we got this uh, place up there that's going to get the fights for us on. I'll text you during it. I love him. Like I've been around him and just to see what life means to him. He's like a Chad Mendez. You know what I mean? Like, and and personality wise, how they're just always happy. Yeah. For whatever reason, those guys are just like happy, you know, like they don't get pissed off. If they do, they hide it. Oh yeah. It's like he walks out and he sees his blazer broken into and he's like, gosh, (laughs) dang it, man. It's cold. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone says that he's like the dude, right? Yeah. Yeah, He's the dude, right? He's just, he wears the robe and he's just, he's the dude. And I, I, that's what I love about being able to talk with guys like you is that there's, there's, we're all the same people, right? I'm not saying that we're all wired the same, but we all have a chance to make it in life. And we all have the ability to be humble and we all have the ability to come down to earth and be just, you were just given a different skill set than other people, TJ. And you've taken that skill set to the freaking max, dude. And you deserve all of the success, the layoff, the suspension. It happened. You kicked it in the ass. You admitted it. You faced it. You owned it. You shouldered it. You come back and you fight literally a guy. And I'm not going to lie, TJ. I love you. I think you're one of the most amazing fighters of all time. But I was like, oh, shit. Like, this is a true test to the man of of what your stature was and that what your record showed in the past. I was like, man, this is going to be tough for TJ. And you freaking go in and you win the fight. And that it's it's so badass to know that I could sit down and talk to you and that your life progression is like mine. We all get different maturity levels in life and we learn. And my daughter has done the same thing to me, TJ, to where I want to be nicer. I want to be more forgiving. I don't want to burn bridges. And I think it's great to hear me and you to be able to have this conversation and that we do agree that we do want to be sweeter like Chad Mendez. I don't get how he does it. He's got to be on some kind of freaking vitamin that lets him do it. I know, man. I it's know. crazy, but I appreciate your time, bro. Out of your head, she's like, yes, I want you to be nicer like Chad Mendez as well. <laughs> she knows oh, very well. She knows, she knows Mendez very well. And he's just like such like a uh, – like, he's infectious to be around. Bro, yeah. it's like – He's infectious and contagious. And then when he leaves, the expectations on me and like what your wife's saying right now are like, <laughs> dude, I want to be that happy. I'm going to, I wake up tomorrow. I want to be that happy. But I like, fuck, it's like I stub my toe and I get out of bed and I'm pissed off now. And Chad Mendez would be hopping around on the phone laughing and watching an Eddie Murphy video. So <laughs> I just, yeah, I just yeah. stub my toe. Like, I want to get there. I truly want to get there. But please, if your wife can hear me, it's not that easy. I don't know where the man gets it. I just, I just don't <laughs> know where he gets it. I can't figure it out. I just don't. But man, I appreciate your time. I will be watching Guida October 22nd, the day after my birthday, Chandler, Arizona, Chad Money Mendez, Bare Knuckle Boxing. I'm going to fly in for it. I hope you do too, man. I'd love to hang out with you. Where's it at? Chandler, Arizona. So it ain't even a far drive from you, I don't think. October 22nd. Yep. My birthday's October 21st. 
Do they have an opponent for him yet? No, I think they're naming it tomorrow. Oh, hell yeah. I think they're naming it tomorrow. Crazy Mofo is going to fight that guy. Dude, I, I've, I've been around him at my house or at his house or in the gym, and I walk around at 218. He walks around at one, I don't even know, 165, 160. 60, yeah. I would never, I wouldn't fight you or him. I wouldn't fight any of you, but what, to see his videos and what he's doing with Joey and his training right now, boxing. It looks good. He looks good, man. He look, yes. Try to, you and your wife should come into Chandler for that. He's going to, um, I'm going to have him text you or you text him because you're way better friends with him than I am even. And he's going to get a, a big block of tickets from the bare knuckle. They're, they're working that out right now. And then he'll be able to, we'll be able to buy some tickets or whatever. Cool. That'd be a fun crowd to be around. Yeah, we should go meet him down there. But tell your wife in closing that we are trying to get there. We're trying to be better like Chad. Hard enough, but yeah. Now she has it on record, she said. <laughs> okay, man, I appreciate your time. That's TJ Dillashaw. It's been another amazing episode for myself. I love talking with TJ. What a freaking true American badass. He supports the American military. He supports first responders. He's a hunter. He's a fisher. He's a gatherer. He's a provider. He has his own dry rubs. He has businesses. He's an entrepreneur. He has what I call spirit. The man is on a different level. We are truly blessed to have him come onto the show on a regular basis. He will be back after he wins the world title in March, April, somewhere in that time frame, 2022. Tom Jake, hit that button. I will be drinking a Jack Daniels this Saturday watching Clay, the Carpenter Guida bring home another win in the UFC octagon. Thank you, Jack Daniels, for everything you do. Enjoy responsibly. Never, ever allow underage drinking. TJ, thank you, my man. Thanks for having me on, brother. Tom, Jake, hit that button. This song is called What You Gonna Do When the Money's All Gone by Leith Lawton. I don't believe heaven has a bank. Make good use of your time on earth. And don't make a dollar bill all this world Cause I'd rather be poor living off in a hole Than rich as hell without a soul Life on earth won't